Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 89 for Monday, November 7th, 2016. <music> Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Out in Las Gatas, California, Paul Kent. Greetings, Mr. Kent. Hello, Mr. Hamilton. How goes it? Things are going pretty good. The band hasn't been playing too much. We played on Saturday night, and it was the first time in a couple of weeks. And it was one of those things where, you know, when you have a little bit of a time off, you don't really know what you're going to get. But uh, we had a good one on Saturday night. I mean, the, the, the nice thing was the place was packed from Soundcheck. I mean, That's we, awesome. So the energy was kind of high. And then, you know, the dance floor was full from soundcheck actually on. And uh, yeah, we had a really good one. But he had, we had one interesting um, thing I want to talk about in a few minutes. But, but first of all, how, was, how have you been? Show's all done? Show's all done. Yeah, we did our final show after, uh, after in fact, after we recorded last week's podcast with uh, Roberto Hernandez. Uh, and, and so that was a Halloween show. We actually, as a, as a crew and cast, marched in the Portsmouth Halloween parade before we did the show. And then the show was after that. And uh, it went well. It, um, it wasn't our best performance, but it was certainly the most energetic, both from the, the cast as well as the, the crowd that was there because, you know, Halloween night and people were in the right mood and, and all of right. that stuff. And then of course began the long loadout and, uh, and lots of what I was calling regrettable duct tape, because uh, three and a half weeks prior, when we loaded into the theater, we were willing to duct tape everything down. And uh, and I knew and even said, look, you know, three and a half weeks from now, when we take all this stuff out of here, uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to regret this. And, and sure enough, there was lots and lots of regrettable du- duct tape. Unfortunately, there was no finding of the missing earpiece that I mentioned. So that uh, is something I'm working on now replacing. But uh, yeah, it's um, it, it is. But, you know. But uh, like I said, that I'd had that earpiece for what fourteen years, twelve years, something like so that. So the cost per use was down pretty good, pretty low. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> so I'm actually going into Boston or just outside of Boston tomorrow to have my ears 3D scanned for uh, for the replacement piece, which should be interesting because I've never done that before. I've only ever had them, um, you know, squirt the goo into my ear and then send the the molds in. So. We'll do the 3D scan. We'll see what that's like and, and all that. But um, but yeah, the 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 show, uh, you know, in retrospect, there's so much that 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 happened um, doing this bitter pill show because it wasn't really a theater show. It wasn't really or wasn't just a rock show. It was this whole kind of thing that came together. But it was certainly the first time that I felt like I was truly a member of the cast. There was no dividing line between. Um, like the cast and the pit musicians, everybody was just sort of in, in it together. Um, cool. and that, yeah. And it was, it was cool. Yeah, for sure. It was, you know, I mean, I, there's always decent bonds made, uh, you know, around, but, but with this one even more so. So, so that was good. There was some frustration and, and I, before I get into the frustration, I, I, I want to state that the theater where we did this is a fantastic theater. It really supports original work and, if it weren't for the existence of this theater, I'm not sure that this show would have ever, ever had the chance to, 
to to blossom right and and become what it what it is or was or who knows what it will will be in the future but um it was great but like with everything you know there's little logistical things that you kind of look at and and working at a theater um is no different than working in a rock club within the confines and the logistics and the infrastructure that they build in that this theater they manage the house the the act gets a percentage of the ticket sales and it's a it's a healthy percentage because the theater is able to basically the theater has I think they pay a dollar a year in rent to the city of Portsmouth or something and and then they they have to maintain the building but it's a it's a sweetheart deal right um but the theater runs its ticketing the way that it has for like 20 years and the problem with that is i mentioned that we had sold out shows right every show except the first sunday was sold out they don't actually sell tickets in advance or they don't sell most of them in advance. They put some online that you can buy, but for the most part, it's a, a list that you get on and then you buy your tickets when you show up at the door. And it's a very nebulous thing. And frankly, if you've never been to this theater before, you probably wouldn't understand how the system actually works. It, it's, it's something that requires some skill and expertise on the part of the attendee to understand that, yes, I left my name on the phone message uh, to be on the list. If I don't get a call back, then that means I'm on the list. So there's sort of this assumption, like, I hope they got my message. Right. Um, and there were a couple of nights where it was not only sold out, but a waiting list, 20 people long. And when we walked on stage, you know, to, to do the show, there were five seats empty in the house, six seats empty in the house. And that part's frustrating. Um, but it, you know, it's an interesting, it's, it's just, part of the deal when even when you know you're some their house their rules th- yeah their house their rules that's right yeah and uh and you know, but even like even some of them were frustrated with it and i think actually most shows at this theater don't sell out and certainly don't sell out at, at the level that that bitter pill did so this has triggered a a conversation amongst the board of wait a minute we can't let this happen again like the we clearly the technology exists now um, and hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll solve that for perhaps next season or, or whenever it is, they can, they can address it. But, but there was that little frustration, like, oh yeah, right. Like you said, their house, not even their rules, but just their way of doing business. And, and at some level, even when it's your thing and you're doing it your way, unless you own the theater too, you have to live within the confines of, of something that's not of your, your doing. And that's just how it goes. You know, again, I, 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 you know, it's a, it's a complaint, but it's only a complaint because we analyze the heck out of everything on this show. And, and that's what we do. So have you ever met anyone in, in these pit bands that you play in or these bands that you play in that wants to get something going together outside of the, of the show? Oh, like, like we finish a, a, a run and somebody says, Hey, we should play in a band together kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've never actually seen it happen. But I've, 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 I've been like, people have said, Hey, would you be interested in playing some gigs or, or whatever? And I, the answer is always yes. The problem is it's pit musicians, right? So we're, we're all of the same mindset. Like we put in the time we can come and do this. And it, it is a, it's something that requires some level of, of not only knowledge, but talent and skill and all of that. And, and so generally people who are pit musicians, aren't the people out there booking gigs. So um, so it has yet to happen, but, but yes, almost every time it's like, wow, we were a really good band. We should play together again sometime. It's like, yep. Okay, 
Sure. But <laughs> Someone that, take that on. Yeah. yeah, that guy over there that hired us for this gig is going to hire us all for the next one. And I'll see you then, you know, <laughs> but but it, but you know how to find me if there's something in between. Sure. Let's go. Yeah. But so Nobody the, that you're excited enough that you would actually say, hey, we could do something really unique you uh, know, because this guy is so, so good or so interesting. Actually, so the after Bitter Pill ended, yeah, there, there's been some discussion about that band or, or some iteration of that band. It was a, essentially a four piece band, guitar, keys, bass and drums. And I don't know if I mentioned it to you, but we actually had a baby grand piano inside this theater that Billy played for most of the show. Uh, and he's a great uh, Billy's the one who wrote Billy Butler. This is he wrote all the songs for for Bitter Pill. And uh, he played played keyboards and he also plays guitar, but he's he's mainly a piano player. Some great stride piano to stuff that we got to do. Really, really. He's a phenomenal player and a great singer. He sang a lot of the leads, not all of them. But um, so he and, and the bass player and I have been talking about, you know, Billy says, well, maybe if, if there's not another bit of pill performance anytime soon, we'll, you know, we'll book a couple of dates at, at clubs or whatever and, and play some gigs. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, sure. You know, I, I, and with this, it, I think there's maybe like a 40% chance of it happening just realistically, you know, so I'm not, I'm not like banking on it or anything, but, but if the, if the opportunity comes up, I'd happily do it. I mean, we already know all these songs together. First of all, <laughs> we can all sing, you know. Right. And there's covers to play too. So who knows? You know, who knows? All right. So I wanted to share one kind of interesting thing that happened at the game. We had Saturday night. Um, we play at this, it's a microbrewery that's up in a town called Pleasanton, California. And um, a decent room holds maybe 120 packed, you know, okay. wall to wall. Sure. The stage that they have kind of cuts the corner of one part of a room. So it's kind of a triangular size stage. It's not a perfect triangle, but it's, it's kind of a triangular size stage. Sure. And the stage is just about big enough for the rhythm section. Right. Which means that the horns are basically off stage, right on the floor leading against a wall that actually goes to a, a archway to another room of this, of this venue. So the horns are, um, and then our, our, our right side, um, house, cause we do our own sound there our right side is kind of right in front of our, that last trumpet player who's at the end of that line there. Mm. So he's um, on the floor, not on the stage as, as our three of the five horns, we can get two of the horns on the stage, three, the other three horns down. And the last trumpet player is there, you know, again, right by this, this archway that leads to this other room in this bar. And he's, um, he's a little too exposed to the, um, to the, to the public. So people will walk by him. We'll bump him. We'll dance a little too close to him because there's nothing keeping people away from him. Sure. Um, and it's a walkway. And every time we've played there, there've been, uh, um, close to issues. And then on Saturday night, it was close to a really big issue. Like, like drunk people were too close to him and messing with him while he's trying to play. And he got cross with them and they got pissy with him. And, and, you know, <laughs> it, it was almost a thing. Yep. Right. Yep. So, we're working through solutions to this. Interestingly, I don't think the bar owner cares. I don't, I, I have to ask him, but he'll be like, well, you know, you're bringing a 10 piece banner here. And, and you know, I, I, you know, we make him a lot of money. We fill that place when we're there. Sure. But to the point where I think the right thing to do is like, we'll, we'll squish together a little and create one body length difference. I would hope that he'll invest in like a, a rope or I was gonna say a, a red velvet rope stanchion. Right. Exactly. That that sounds like usually all you need is some type of visual barrier 
that and and that can often be like the cables that go between two monitors on the floor, right? That that, that then defines the front of the stage. And right. generally, people won't cross that. Some people will, no matter what, and they're going to be the ones that crash through your stanchions, and and it doesn't matter, right? But yeah. but having something where it's obvious that I am supposed to not go there is usually enough for most people, even even people that have had a couple too many to drink. Yeah, so I'm going to suggest that to the guy. But it, this is an interesting thing because yeah. it's a good gig. We make him money. Um, you know, if I say to him, hey, you know, we need something, and he says no. Yeah, then what? Then what? It's a, it's a very interesting question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because basically he's saying, I don't care about your safety. Do you walk from that gig? You know, it pays okay, right? It's, right. it's not like we're not taking the door there or, or anything like that. It pays okay. But basically, you know, are we assuming that the – the club needs to provide a, a safe environment. I guess I guess that's the answer. Yes, right? The club well, needs to provide a safe environment for the band to be able to do what they do. Well, yeah. I mean, I would I would even take a step back and say you need to make sure there's a safe environment there for your band. And and is that the club's responsibility? To a, to a point it is. But like you said, you're bringing a 10-piece band in there. That's probably bigger than every other band that comes in there. Uh-huh. Right. So, but it sounds like that's a conversation. It's a, I don't even want to call it a shared responsibility. I mean, it, it, it should be on the club's shoulders to say, we can't safely fit a 10 piece band in here. Right. I mean, that, that would be the, the, the way I'd look at it is, are you, do you want, but, but do you want to walk away from the gig? If they say no, the question would be, do you want a 10 piece band in here? If so, can we, block off an area to make enough room for the, the 10 piece no. band that's here. The other thing that it, you spin this and here's the other way you look at it. Like yep. you're a band and you want to play, right? You should, you can, you should, you should um, be self-sufficient and taking care of as many barriers to you not being able to, you know, the same way you have a sound system. Totally. Yep. It, you know, to, to buy a little velvet rope thing, you know, and just throw it in the truck. And then we have the gig. I don't know. And I'm a little stuck on principle. Is it the venue's responsibility or in practicality? Is it our responsibility? Right. Uh, And I guess, you know, maybe here's what happens. The conversation, it will be that will be the telling thing. Right. I don't need that gig that much. I like that gig. Sure. But if he's like, you know, screw it. I don't care what's wrong with you. Maybe I should just take the notice that that's. Yeah. Good, you know, good indicator. Why would you work for a guy like that? Right. Yeah. Well, it, 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 right. It's, you know, there's always these barometers of how good of a gig is, is this going to be going forward? Right. And, yep. and one of them to me is like the easy one is pay. If a club isn't going to pay you, you know, some fair wage and, and depending on the place, like you said, that might be the door or it might be a flat rate or some mix of the two, whatever it is. If they, if it, and it usually that conversation gives you a clear indication as to whether this place really cares about having bands there or if it, they see it as a nuisance. Right. And if they, if the conversation leads you to, well, yeah, we'll give you, you know, 12 bucks and nachos. Oh, awesome. Yep. I don't care how nice your stage looks. I can already tell this isn't going to be a fun gig. Right. And, and so that's one of the, the ways of kind of checking that temperature. But the other is like having a conversation about something like this where, okay, we've played there a couple of times. Um, it's not, we're, we're having a problem. Can you help us solve it? Yeah. You know, it, and really it's, we're having a problem at your club that we don't experience anywhere else. Can we work together to solve it? 
Right. And and that that's really where that conversation starts is can we work together to solve it? All right. So just play this out. So he says, you know what? You, you play here eight times a year. It's not. I worth don't know. It. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me to spend two, three hundred bucks to solve this problem. I don't know. I don't think it's worth it. Right. And then the, and then the question is, is it worth it to you? It, would there be anywhere else that this that having these, you know, stanchions, velvet rope, whatever it is, would would that pay off? Is that something that, that would make sense? And if the answer is, I, I mean, I think there's there's a principle to it. Um, I think like like me, you are someone that uh, easy, easily gets caught up in the principle. Yeah. 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 But but I mean, there is just the practicality of, OK, do we want to keep playing there? If, if the guy's nice about it, but says no. That's different than him being a jackass about it and saying no, True. right? So if he's True. nice True. and says no, okay, well, what principle is it that we're going to get hung up on here? You know, if we're looking for a principle to get hung up on, awesome, we can find one. But if it really is just, oh, good guy, still going to be the right kind of a gig, he's going to support the existence of a velvet rope or stanchion setup. He just doesn't want to provide it. That's very different than him saying, oh, no, 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 you can't get in the way of my crowd, Right. Then it's like, all right, we're done. So I don't know. That's the way I'd look at it. Yeah. yeah. And thinking about this kind of whole principle thing, I have reflected often lately how far my needle has gone with regards to, with regards to the issue of pay. I, you know, we, we have some posts going on on our, on our, um, on our, our Facebook, uh, Facebook yeah. community page. Yeah. And I, I thought it would be kind of interesting to spend a few minutes on that. I know I've turned, I've given up a bunch of acoustic gigs and I've turned down a bunch of acoustic gigs if the pay is not um, reasonable and I, I I'm putting the number at a hundred bucks um, for a gig as the minimum that I'll do an acoustic gig for now. Yeah. And um, for sure. Yeah. You know, and that's three hours, right? Four hours. I'd probably ask for more. And, you know, I have friends who are pro working musicians that take almost anything that comes along. And I think we differ on the perspective of this and, you know, they this is part of their livelihood. And so to them, 50 bucks plus tips is better than is better than nothing. Right. Right. And Some nights that can be better than your hundred bucks too, to be fair. It can be, you yeah. know, and you know, I would think that there's probably a, you know, some kind of educated guess as to whether that's going to happen or not, mm. but I'm, I'm, we're talking about the principles here. I'm kind of stuck on that concept that, well, you know, you're going to, you're going to evaluate me based upon how much business I make you and you're not giving me very much. If you're going to give me 50 bucks, don't expect me to kill myself to fill your club, right? you know, or your restaurant or anything like that. And so my line is moving in that I have, you know, I used to, you know, I, you need to play and you need to, and this is actually the conversation I want to have. There's a lot of like, take any gig you can, you, you know, you get better at your craft by playing. Sure. But I don't think that means take any free gig that you can. I think that the issue is something needs to transpire between the purchaser and the musician, right? I, yeah. You know, something there needs to be some value held. And it's, it's, it's the really cheap ones bum me out, but the free ones are just inexcusable. I mean, I just, I can't even, I can't even talk to people who will take a free gig where someone else is making money off of you being there for the, for the, you know, you're making someone else money because you're just so happy to have any gig. I think that that's, it just does a disservice. And, you know, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, try and call a plumber on a Saturday night and, you know, all that type of stuff. But the problem is, is that there are always, semi-professional to less level musicians who will take those gigs and do a disservice to the rest of the, to the rest of the. Yeah. They, they, I never musician. have plumbers offering to work for free for the exposure or experience. Right. But, but I have seen musicians do that. 
and yeah. and and that's the difference. I and and here's my advice because you're totally right. You you have to play in order to gain some experience. There's just no two ways about it. Um, and if you can't get a paying gig at a place that's earning money off of, the, frankly, of just them being open, whether or not you're there, uh, if if they won't pay you for your time um, and you can't find a place that will pay you for your time. My advice is reach out to your friends, find out who's having parties, doing things, things that aren't making them money, right? Free gigs where you can just go and play. And, and now you're in a, a, a much lower um, expectation. I don't know. Expectations, the right thing, much lower pressure situation, right? You don't have to, there's no one there at the club that says, all right, well, your set has to start at 8 PM and you need to do, you know, three, one hour sets with 12 minute breaks and whatever that is. Right. You can, if you play go play at somebody's party. Yeah. You've got to go and set your stuff up. So you're going to learn about what it's like to set up in a, you know, non-standard environment. You're going to have to figure out sound. You're going to have to figure out all of that. And now you're going to be playing in front of people. And some of these people are going to pay attention to you and some are not. And there's a skill to be learned there too, right? So there's all this experience that you can get playing for free without doing it in a club that then totally devalues not only our product, but your product too, when you want to start getting paid. If you've gone around and offered all these clubs free gigs or accepted their free gigs, there's no way they're going to pay you. It's just not how that works. So, um, so I think you can find opportunities to get that experience without ruining the, 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 the potential for earning money down the road. That's my feeling. You posted that kind of interesting thing about that guy who got a request for someone to use his music for free from, from actually a large organization. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. They said they had no budget for music and and, (laughs) you know, his reply was, well, you know, that's your choice. You, you have a budget for all this other stuff. There's not some immutable law of the universe that says, then therefore you must not have any money for music. It's that's a choice that you made or someone goes on and he's like, you "You have, you have money for catering. You have money to play to pay the janitorial staff. that's going to come in at the end when everything's all done. You have money for everything else, but no budget for music is an absolute. That's a, that's a, do not pass go. You know, th- this is, there's no discussion to have here. No, there's no, that, and that's the thing. If there's no budget for anything, and that's why I use the example of, you know, a friend's party at their house or barbecue or whatever you want to call it. That's one thing to me, but yeah, when it, when there's like all this stuff happening and infrastructure and people being paid and it's like, Oh, except you, I mean, obviously not you. Um, yeah. All right. Next time. Thanks. See you. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that the message is, is that if you want to be a performing musician and even if you're starting out and I know you love it and I know, you know, you have this passion for it and you want to share your art and all these types of things, there is another part to it. And you, usually you don't think about, you don't think about that business thing. No. And here's you, the, here's the thing, a club, I, I get it, right? Like if, if you could get a gig playing at you know pick the the biggest arena near you right if somebody said oh yeah you can play there uh but you have to play for free first of all that's not going to happen because they don't want to have no one in the seats right and that's that same concept is true of the good clubs around you none of the good clubs are going to take you for free they want musicians that are going to put a quality product on the stage in most cases, hopefully draw people into the venue and all of the above. So someone 
some club that's saying, yeah, you know, uh, we'll, we don't have any money really to pay you, but, you know, we'll maybe give you a couple of free beers if you'll come and play. This is not the kind of place you want to play anyway. It's just not going to be a good gig. We, you know, I talked about the barometer being the, the money first. It's totally true that you, no place that you would really want to play is going to do that for free. They're either going to not have you because there are ba- acts that for them are better than you or they're going to have you. And it's that simple. So don't buy into the concept of, oh, I need to do it for free for a little while before they'll start paying me. That will yep. never, ever, ever happen. Never, right. never. And if you walk in and offer to do a gig for half price, guess what? That is now full price for you <laughs> at that club forever. Good luck doubling your price now. It's not getting back up to the, you know, to the first price. It's now you, oh, well, you worked for 200 bucks. What do you but mean? But it's all about the mentality. Like, yeah. like, why would, why would anybody give away something of value? Right. Right. And the thing is, is like, oh, but I love it. But, you know, it means so much to me, but I need to express my art. I, I hear those those arguments. But if you truly valued it, it wouldn't even dawn on you. Right. 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 So I this is, uh, you know, I, we will come back to this and we have we've covered this many times over the 89 episodes and we will cover it many more times because it is a constant thing. I think musicians in any community need to. Respectfully kind of draw that line and, and line? encourage, encourage other musicians in the community. There, there are, there are bands in my area that are taking those, you know, art and wine festivals that don't pay yet. They pay the staging company and they pay the sound company. There are other, you know, they're paying somebody, Yep. but you know, music because they think they can get it for free. And well, clearly that, they can. I mean, well, that's, 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 that's it. The and I think that's yeah. everywhere. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's any place where there aren't some musicians that, still buy into the stupid exposure argument or still, you know, just because they need to be on a stage yeah. you know, we'll take that type of thing. But I think it's, it's up to musical communities to kind of like spread the word that like, yeah. no, no referrals for you. If you're that, you're, if you're that guy. If you're that guy. So I have right. a question for you because you, you did, and this is totally a logistics thing, absolutely changing gears, but, but circling back at the same time, you mentioned at this club where you set up in a really tight space that you had, you said, you know, you have your stage right um, speaker over on that side. And obviously I would assume a stage left speaker on stage left side for, for your mains. Um, Do you ever set up where you don't run in stereo and you just put all of your mains on one side of the stage or the other? Never have done it. Yeah. See, we started doing that with fling. I saw, I went and saw a gig, I don't know, probably five years ago now, six years ago down in Boston. I think it was bowling for soup actually. And this was an awful club. Like I walked in and looked at the shape of the room and was like, Oh my God, this sounds going to be horrible. And just because I'm thinking, well, you know, with the way speakers are going to be, it's going to be bouncing off of all these walls. How in the world are they going to like tighten this up and make it sound good? And the band came out and it was crystal clear. I mean, just perfect. And I thought, well, all right, what's going on? And then I looked and there's a stack of speakers only on one side of the stage in this room. And I thought, of course, that solves the problem of things bouncing from different sources. You, you know, it's it's one source and it worked really, really well. Now, obviously, that doesn't work well in every club, but I encourage all of you to consider that 
as an option every time you walk into a new place, unless it's obvious. I mean, you know, a theater like a proscenium style theater or whatever. Great. You know, it's totally built to have sound coming from both sides. It's not going to bounce the wrong ways. Awesome. Huh? But most bars aren't built like proscenium style theaters I've found. So, right. um, so it's worth it. You know, it's always like that's always an option. In fact, we've even got like a splitter that we can put one stand up that two mains can go up on if we want to do it that way. And then and then the sub below them and, and that kind of thing. Uh, because we wind up doing it more often than not, uh, especially sometimes for sound logistics, but other times for space logistics, like you were describing, you know, if you've got to have somebody scooched over and, you know, now they're they're actually fighting for space with one of your own speakers. It's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe we can put that over there. Conversely, the speakers can be an awesome stanchion, uh, you know, so you put your speakers over on that side and then you're good to go. Yeah. yeah. So I think minute. we're going to have to do that. Yeah. All right. So, so let me see. I wanted to have a conversation about merchandise, which is something that I think about quite a bit for my band. Do you have a lot of experience in the in selling brand brand band band branded? <laughs> that's hard to say. Band branded merchandise. Um, a little bit. It, 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 I have a lot of experience in in limited venues. Yeah, when with Fling, we've only recently really started doing it, and we're actually not pushing it as hard as we should. We 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 sell shirts at gigs, but we should be selling them online too. Uh, yeah. And maybe that's something I'll do here. But when I was on the road with Hypnotic Clambake, uh, we would actually go and do free gigs if we had a night off in a town because that was way better than sitting around doing nothing because we didn't have a ton of money. So we would go to a coffee house and say, hey, can we play here? And we learned that we would negotiate and just have them pay us in like food or something so that they didn't feel weird about us just paying for free. And and we would set up our merch table and make like, you know, three to five hundred bucks if it was the right college town. So, so that, that's actually the place where we start this conversation. It's like, I, I don't know if you're an original band. Yeah. You need a, you need the income mm-hmm. and you need the brand exposure. Totally. If, if you're a cover band, I don't know too many cover bands. I'm thinking the best cover bands around here that, um, that sell some merch. They sell some merch. Yep. It, they sell it, And I, I would say for most cover bands, it's not enough where it's really going to be in the in the making some money category. It's going to be much more marketing expense than it is a revenue thing. I, 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 I'm generalizing a little bit, but I'm thinking no, about I think the you're right. best bands here, you know, yep. and, I, and I'm speaking this as some guy who has several dozen past runs of T-shirts in my house, yep. you know, that that never sold. But I will say this. Here's here's the biggest barrier. So a you got to you have to have good merch and there's so many good online resources now um you know for places to to produce in in smaller quantities smaller runs yep um i think there's also you don't have to buy cheap t-shirts that are like one wash and done type of thing t-shirts and stickers are the things that most people are interested in here although you gave me a great idea once that like if you're a club band that you do um coasters with your band logo and your contact information yeah yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of genius. Yeah, those you're so, not going to sell, but you're just going to put them out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, T-shirts and stickers are the things that uh, that are, that uh, seem to work to me. But here's the deal. The reason I think that we haven't done what we need to do with our stuff is because um, you need to really know that you have committed people who will sell stuff or, or a plan to sell stuff. Yes. So if it's a bandmate's wife or kid or, you know, something like that. Are they available? Because what happens is you run out of steam and then it becomes just too much of a hassle. So, you you, you know, what we did, we, we took pre-orders, like I put it on the Facebook page, put it on, the, on our website, and we got a certain amount of pre-orders to know a baseline of how much we would sell. And then I ordered some amount X more than that. 
with this fantastic intention that we're going to run a merch table and we're going to, but I don't know too many bands actually have extra hands willing, ready and able to man a table to hand out your marketing stuff and all that type of stuff. It's a lot different when you're in your twenties, man. It is exactly, exactly. Seriously. Like that's a a big difference. Cause we did it. I mean, go figure was a, was a, um, an original band for the most part. We played some covers, but, but we were an original band for the most part. And, uh, and we sold a ton of, of t-shirts and stuff. In fact, I don't think I have any of our stuff left. I mean, it like that we, we sold at that level. Um, mm-hmm. but, and we sold CDs and, and all kinds of other stuff too. But, um, and we just did with bitter pill, believe it or not. There were like most nights there was an extra between 50 and 150 bucks on the table because of, uh, of t-shirts and other things that we sold, which was cool. But, um, my runs but, yeah. have been, I think. I think maybe six dozen to like 10. You know, I think we did 144 shirts on our last run. Okay. And I think we sold about 120 shirts, which is not bad. It's not bad. No, you certainly no, made your money back. Yeah. We made, you made the money back. But like, again, then the, the reason that we didn't sell them all is the concept of having your act together enough. And it kind of goes to marketing as well, right? It's the same right. thing. Running a table where you would sell merch, hand out cards, answer questions, hand out calendars. You know, that's that's uh, you need to have your act together, identify who is really committed to do that. You know, I've, I've seen bands actually who have um, arms and legs who walk around an audience asking people to put their name yeah. on, a, on a mail list. I mean, that that's awesome. I just find that most bands, even, you know, like we're working pretty well. You, you just don't have that consistent thing. And then it becomes it's a the, hassle to the load the table. And the, is the key. It is. That has to be part of your routine. Just, of right. Just like you, you would set up your sound system or you'd bring your guitar to a gig. There needs to be that part of it. That's just automatic and part of the machine. Yeah. And you have to be very realistic that it's going to happen or not. You know? Right. But, right. But I'll just close on this. So, so merch is kind of an interesting thing for a cover band, for my cover band. It is a marketing thing. Right. Um, you know, like getting our name out there. It's also a real kick in the pants when you play a gig and you see people wearing your, wearing totally. Your yeah. Totally, yeah. totally fun. But, um, uh, the ability to do it and do it well. There are tons of great resources on online now for getting all sorts of quantities of shirts, uh, good quality shirts. Um, we use Clear Ink is who is who we use. Okay, yeah, and I'd, uh, I'd love to. I'd love to hear what all of our listeners use for uh, for merch because I think I, I would love to because I think there's pieces of it that so much has changed. I mean, just the the, the advent of like Square or PayPal Reader or any of those yeah. things, like the fact that you can now take credit cards at gigs is a whole new world that's, that really didn't exist even five years ago, let alone 15. So I, I'd be curious what everyone else is doing. How are you like the success and failure stories, right? What have you done that has worked or hasn't worked that, that the rest of us should stay away from email us feedback at giggabpodcast.com or visit us on Facebook, go to uh giggabpodcast.com slash Facebook. And that'll bring you to our group. And, uh, and we can all talk about it there. Absolutely. One last thought on this is I'd also love to hear if anybody is doing like on demand, there are places where you can just upload a design, upload mm, your logo. Yeah, that and too. Your fans can go and buy their own stuff, so you're not committed to any quantities of things. It's a little more expensive to do one off like that, but I'd be really there's interested no risk. To hear. That's right. No risk. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. So, all right, all right folks. Man. Let's. Uh, we'll see you next week, and uh, and always be playing, always be performing. Tell us what you've learned about merch and anything else. Frankly, we'd love to see it. Have a good one, Dave. Thanks, you too, Paul. 